All right, this is a series on relationships, and this morning we're talking about how to repair them. It's an invitation to responsibility. You know what it feels like when you have done something wrong and you take responsibility for it. You know what it feels like. You, you say I'm, those, those tough words to say, I am sorry, right? Uh, somebody told me when I said, sorry about that, she said, uh, this was many years ago, she said, you're missing from your apology. She said, I am sorry. I thought, well, golly, I mean, I came to apologize, and now you're raking me over the coals here. But she was right. Isn't it hard to say, I am sorry? I am sorry. That's a tough thing to say. Put the I in there, that's really hard. Sorry is okay. You know, oh, sorry, it's kind of like a dish pass. You're like, sorry, sorry you had that experience. Um, you know, sorry that happened to you. I'm sorry you feel that way pretty much wimping out of the apology. I am sorry makes you feel about that tall, right? Don't you, you feel that, right? When you say, I am sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me, that's, that's, that makes you feel about that tall. But how big does someone look in your eyes when they apologize to you? Now, you may still be mad at them, but you respect it, don't you? You respect it. That's the tough thing. It's tough to take responsibility because you feel this big. And yet when you do, you bring light and life to your relationships. When you take responsibility. <laughs> We've got opportunity to do this every day, don't we? I mean, it's meandering through all of you know, our selfishness. It is meandering in and out of all of our conversations. It's subtle. So the ability to bring light and life to our relationships, to our conversations, what does that take? It takes the freedom to own it. The freedom to own it. 1 John chapter 2, 1 through 10. I think they might just have 1 through 6 up there. I'm going to go through verse 10. Would you all pull out your scriptures, follow along, read along. We're going to unpack this. John says, my little children. He's writing to these fledgling churches, right? My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness He is the, now here's a big word, propitiation, atoning sacrifice. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for our, uh, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing to you 
no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. May God bless us this morning through this, his holy word. Let us pray. God bless us now to receive your word. That we may grow into it. In Jesus' name, amen. So isn't it true that your biggest conflicts and difficulties in relationships weren't so much from the mistake you made, but from the defense that you offered after you were called out, right? Isn't it true? That the bigger problem that we have in conflict is not so much making mistakes. We all make mistakes, but it's defensiveness. I remember uh, in this interview one time when I was really young, uh, I, was, I was asked a, a series of questions, very probing questions. And uh, I must have been just very sharp in my answers because uh, the, 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 one of the women who was on this committee interviewing me said, you seem a little defensive. Now, I didn't feel defensive, but I'll tell you, I was after that, <laughs> right? You're feeling defensive right now just from the word defensive. I mean, we just get defensive at, at anything, right? I mean, you're defensive about me suggesting that it might be defensive, aren't you? I mean, it, it is one of those things that, that we naturally do. It's, it's amazing. I mean, somebody says to you, hey, did you remember that thing I asked you to bring? And all of a sudden, amazingly, you are an expert in conversational Tai Chi, right? I mean, it's like dodge Perry, you know, I mean, it, it, all of the sudden, you have this amazing defense, and you don't even know where it came from. It just bubbles up. And then the trouble really starts. And John Gottman, who's an expert in relationships, talks about this being one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse of a relationship. Defensiveness. Defensiveness. So how do we keep ourselves from being defensive? How do, we, how do we own it in the moment, right? I mean, you look back on those, those times when you had that conversational Tai Chi going, when you, were, when you were very defensive, and you look back on that, and you wonder, why didn't I just say, yeah, no, I, I'm sorry, I forgot. Why do we do this? And how do we keep ourselves from falling into that trap? How do we take responsibility? And the answer is that, that we have to have the freedom to do so. We have to feel the confidence and freedom to do so. And we're going to walk through how, how we get that. What's it look like to have that freedom and confidence to take responsibility for ourselves? That we may bring light and life into our conversations. Are you with me now? Is it making sense? This is where we're going. So we're going to take a look at having the right picture of responsibility. The, the, the right worth that comes through taking responsibility. And then the right peace that results, the right, the right picture, the right sense of ourself in the middle of it as a result. So like the right picture of the downside of human nature, and then the right worth of the repair that comes from God, and then the right peace that allows us to grow into it. 
So here we go. So, so first is the right picture. The right picture of what? The right picture of the problem. We have to have the right picture of the problem. I think, I think most of us, most of the time, don't have an appreciation for how big the problem is. We don't. We just don't. We just can't live there. But I'm going to say it, and, and this is going to feel a little heavy, but it's going to be okay because we're going to come out of it. All right? So I'm going to take a little dip here. Are you ready? The problem is deadly. It's a deadly problem. It's that bad. You, you look at this, and we kind of saw this big word, propitiation. It means atoning sacrifice. Atoning for what? Atoning for the consequence of sin, of the condition of sin, which is death. That's the condition of sin. Now, that sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? Well, it's just telling the truth. I mean, when you break relationship with something, there are consequences when you break relationship. Now, let, let's, let's unpack this so you can understand just how the right kind of picture of the problem that we have because you have to start here. You have to start with appreciating how big the problem really is. Broken relationship. Now, think of a marriage. It's intangible, right? And, and part of the challenge that I have this morning is that I'm talking about these intangible things. So I'm going to try to give you some pictures. And this first one is crucial for the rest of this message. So you have to follow me on this, okay? Marriage. The bond is real. You can't see it. But if you break it, oh, it's real. You feel it. I mean, even uh, even a, 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 a relationship that's not bonded in marriage, boy, that hurts when it's broken, doesn't it? I mean, there's so many songs written about it. I mean, song after thousands of songs written about that experience, right? I mean, Taylor Swift alone has written hundreds of songs about it, right? Trouble, trouble, trouble. I mean, yeah, I mean it's, it's that feeling of a broken bond. You know the bond was there. You know it was real because when it breaks, oh, don't you know it? The pain of a broken bond for marriage. It's painful. But you break the bond with God. It's not just painful. It's deadly. It's deadly. Why? Because the bond we have with God is our life. Our creator created us and sustains life. Our life is in him. God created us for himself. And if you break that bond, it's not just painful. It's deadly. You see, the bond that we have with God is for real. God created us. He sustains all things. See, God is the only independent being in all the universe, in all time and existence. He's the only, he doesn't need anybody else. We need him. Our life is sustained by him. We depend on him. You break bonds there. It's not just trouble, trouble, trouble. It is deep, deep trouble. It's deadly. You say, Tim, I thought God was a forgiving God. I thought he just forgave. Well, of course. Of course he forgives. But there are consequences. There's still consequences. You know, if your neighbor, uh, your neighbor's daughter you know, is practicing her swing in the backyard and, and, and slices one into your window, you can forgive her, but there's still a cost to the window. There's still a cost. That's what atoning sacrifice is all about. 
that Jesus pays the cost, and the cost is death. Death. You break the bond. It's not just painful. It's not just difficult. It's not just trouble. It's death. And Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. He is in our place. He is our substitute for the wrath of God. You say, well, gosh, that, that's the part that sounds harsh to me, that, that God would sort of have this wrath towards people who, who, who betrayed him. But, but here's what you have to understand. Wrath isn't God sort of having an emotional reaction or a bad day. Wrath is God's settled opposition to the deadliness of sin. And that's a good thing. We want eternity populated not with people who betray one another, but with people who are able to bring light and life into relationship. And so God's settled opposition, his wrath, has to be satisfied because that's just telling the truth. It's telling the truth that it's painful for a marriage to break bonds. It's telling the truth that it's deadly to break bonds with God. It's the truth. And so Jesus sacrificed. Yes, Jesus drank the cup of wrath that God gave him to drink, but Jesus did so willingly, you see. And he did so because at the very same time he's settling the score, he's also extending mercy. Now, that's a lot. You see how much that is? I mean, I'm, hope, I'm hoping that you have followed me because the rest of the message really hinges on understanding. The bond is real between a husband and wife. The bond is real between creator and creature. And so that means the breaking of it is real. And we sing about this when we sing that Getty song, In Christ Alone. And on that cross, when Jesus died, the wrath of God is satisfied. Satisfied. See, when you trust in that, now you take the second step here with me this morning. When you trust that the wrath of God is satisfied... With Jesus' death on... When you trust in that. Just as the bond broken is real, the bond restored is real. What's real about it is that you have the right picture now of your worth. The right picture of your worth. That gives us the freedom to stop hiding from responsibility. You see? Isn't that amazing? When we trust, see, trust is, is powerful. Trust is the heart of relationship. You break trust, it's for real. You restore trust, it's for real. And your picture of you, your image, your sense of worth, your identity is restored. And we no longer have to hide in shame. Genesis 3.10 talks about God. This is an incredible picture of God uh, walking and in the garden, and, and no longer is that something that, that Adam would be and Eve would be welcome to hear because they have broken bonds with him. And they feel it. They feel that brokenness. They feel a sense of shame. And God says, where were you, Adam? And he said, I was hiding because I was what? Naked. He was naked, naked. He was naked. I mean, he was, he was, I mean, his fanny was out there in the wind, and he was just... Feeling it, right? 
I mean, for the first time, he's like, hey, there's something not right here. We feel it. We feel that sense of shame. And I'm having a little fun with it this morning because you know what I'm talking about when I do that, when I say that. I want you to feel what we're talking about here. See, this is, the, this is why we run from responsibility because we're hiding. How do we hide? The three main ways we hide. First is we, we, we get a lot of stuff that makes people think that we're okay, right? You pile up enough stuff, people think, you got, you got it going on, right? Oh, he's really done well for himself. I, I don't like that uh, expression. He's really done well for himself. Well, good for you. <laughs> I mean, great. That's great. He's really done well for himself. Congratulations. You have received your reward, Jesus would say. See, what are we doing with that? I mean, stuff is good. It's, you know, these are God's good gifts. But when they become something we hide behind, when they become our identity, when they become our sense of worth, they are worthless. That's one way. See, we, we pile up a bunch of stuff. The second, I, I don't feel bad for having stuff. I'm just saying, if you have it as your identity, you are hiding in shame. No stuff is going to be enough. No amount. Second way is, we do a bunch of stuff. We keep doing it. The next deal, you know, the next degree, you know, Piled higher and deeper, right? I mean, we just, we do and do and keep doing. And then we, when we, you know, there's an old book by uh, Tim Hansel that says, when I relax, I feel guilty, all right? And I thought, oh my goodness, there was a time in my life when I, that is exactly uh, how I felt. It was about, you know, yesterday, all right? So, you know, I mean, you know, we feel, we relax, we feel guilty. And when we work, we feel good. Why? We're hiding, you ever thought about it that way? Your hyperactivity is actually trying to pile up a sense of worth, you see, and then you hide behind it. That's, that's the second way. The third way is that we just, we accumulate people's good favor. We, we please people or we do things for people or we, we gather people around us and good opinions, even fame, Right? What people think about us. Those are the three ways that we hide. We accumulate what we do, what we have, and what other people think of us. And then we feel like maybe, maybe we have a sense of worth. Let's see. This is the worthless way to go. Look at verse 5 and 6 again with me. 2, 5, and 6. It says, it says this. His love is perfected, see? But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Does that mean you don't make mistakes? No, it means that you actually trust that the bond is restored. Are you following me? When you trust that the bond is restored, his love is... Pre- what God thinks of you, what God paid for for you becomes your identity. It becomes who you are. It becomes your worth. Uh, I'll, I'll explain this with an image and then we'll finish up. So Ray Fox, an old friend of mine, really one of my friends from college, Ray Fox was 
her father, a good friend of mine from college, Ray Fox, he, he worked at the University of Tennessee, Tennessee great musician, um, renaissance man. I loved following him around in a flea market. That's one of the things I loved to do with Ray Fox. He would take me to flea markets since during college. And uh, I just loved following him around because he knew what he was looking for, right? I mean, it just all looked like junk to me. And I remember one time we walked up to this big pile of junk, and he was sort of flipping through these, these sort of mitered boxes full of stuff. And he pulls out this old watch, and then he pulls out this other old watch. And he says, what do you want for these? What do you want for these? That's how he talked. What do you want for these? And he said, oh, the, the guy selling said, oh, I don't know, 50 cents a piece. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you five bucks for two of them. He said, great. He gave him five bucks. We walked, around, we walked away. He said, the backs on these watches are worth 100 bucks a piece. Those watches were just piled up under a bunch of stuff, a bunch of junk. They had fallen out of use. They were not in proper use. Now, let me tie it back to the passage because this is what I want you to see. I want you to see that sin is not so much, oh, I've done something bad, I better hide. Sin is that you've just fallen out of proper use because you don't see your worth. Let that sink in. You have fallen out of proper use because you don't see your worth. When the love of God is perfected in you, when the bond is restored, when you have a sense of trust that what Jesus did as a propitiation on the cross for you is for you, you go back into proper use. There is now the right worth. You have the right sense of your worth. And you will obey. You will go back into proper use. Now, you'll make mistakes, of course. But that perfected love gives you a, a whole new reason, new motivation for your obedience. It brings light and life. You're no longer moving towards people to fill that need, right? You're no longer saying, you know, the, the, the stuff that I have, the stuff that I do, your good opinion of me. I'm moving towards you and I need something from you. I need something. You got to fill up this gap, this hole, right? Blaise Pascal, this God shaped vacuum. But when you have it filled, when you have his love perfected in you, you have a sense of your worth like those watches, and they go back, you go back into proper use. You obey. That's, that's what he's saying to these young churches. He's saying, look, get this right. Know who you are because you know whose you are. And as a result, you will obey. And then finally this, it's, it, it, then you walk around with the right peace, the right peace. We just take responsibility. We, we, we don't mind. We don't mind when we have this restored bond with Christ. We have the right peace. And now we are free to succeed, right? You thought I was telling you not to succeed a minute ago, right? No, no. It's just have it in its proper place. Now you're, now you're free to succeed. You're also free to fail. Free to fail. Because you have a settled sense of peace about your life. 
You're you're free to succeed or fail boldly too, boldly. Verses 8 through 10, it says, this light that comes from a restored bond is already shining. It's already shining. Let me read it to you again. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. The commandment is true in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What he's saying is there's a covenant that's restored. The commandment, the testament. What God has forged, what what God did in in the the passage that that Tyler read earlier, that that the pot goes between the pieces. You know, it's like uh, those pieces uh, forming a covenant in the Old Testament in the ancient world in general, if you wanted to form a bond or a covenant between two parties, you would, you would, you would take your, basically your, your, your food for the week and you would, you would slaughter it and then you would divide it in half and you would walk between it. It's almost like cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, right? That's what you're saying. But only God, this theophany, this, this, this image of God in this smoking pot passes between the pieces. What does that say? It says that if either one of us breaks the bond, that God will be faithful to pay the consequences. He is our atoning sacrifice. Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. To settle the cost, to tell the truth, that when you break the bonds, there's a real cost. But when you forge them again, there's a real peace. You see? And you see that potential in you. The bond is real in you. It's restored in you. The commandment is in you. The light is in you. The darkness is passing away. There's no cause for stumble. It's in you. It, it, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. So, so the, part of the problem that we have is that we hold on to shame. And what does that look like? So w- when my kids were young, and even now, and I say this to myself sometimes, it's like um, when, you have, when you make a mistake... I make a big circle with my arms, all right? This is you, the big circle, and the little circle is the mistake you made. Now, sometimes what we do is this. We go like this. We look at the problem, and we say, this is, I am this. I am the problem. You, you look at this, and you think, and sometimes I think, look, when my kids would start to feel so guilty and shamed, they would, they would think, not only did they forget, but they're a forgetter. That's what we do. You take guilt to shame, that's when you become the thing you did. Th- that, that's what our culture is doing, right? That's what cancel culture really is. It's, it's making somebody into their worst mistake. It's saying, you made a mistake, and that's you. That defines you. That's who you are now. Well, we cancel ourselves all the time, don't we? We make a mistake, and we start going into a deep hole, and we say, I am this, right? I, I am this. And then we become our mistake. I didn't just forget, but I'm a forgetter. I didn't just forget to pick that thing up to do that thing for somebody else, but I am so selfish, I am a forgetter because this is who I am. No. See, what John is saying to these young Christians in this young church is that you have a new life. You have the freedom to say, no, I forgot. That's not who I am. I, I love this um, image, and it's, 
you know, it's sort of politicized. So don't worry about the, whether you like these presidents or not and whether you liked Lincoln or didn't like, I mean, like Nixon or didn't like Nixon, whether you like JFK or didn't like JFK. Forget all that, okay? Just follow me on this great illustration, all right? So in this movie about Nixon, so Nixon is standing under JFK's portrait, right? And he's feeling, you know, like he's sort of having this reflective moment on Watergate and all the things that he had done wrong. And he says this, and it's never, it's never left me. He says, you looked out at the people and saw what they could be. I looked out, I look out at the people and I see what they are. You see, what, what John is saying is God sees what you can become in Christ. And you know what? He gives you a little bit of that as a deposit. And he says, you know what? It's already in you. The light has already dawned. You have the ability. You have the ability to take responsibility. You have the freedom because you have a new life. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for new life in Christ. We thank you that The bond is reformed. And we pray for a greater sense of confidence today so that we can bring light and life into all our conversations, especially when we're in conflict. That we can say, yeah, that was me, I did that. But my failures are not final. That we can boldly say, yes, I made that mistake. That we can boldly say, I'm sorry. That we can boldly say, I belong forever and forever because Christ has paid it all. He's paid the debt. It's done. Lord, give us the freedom to own it. In Jesus' name, amen.